You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are back to recap what was a, probably based on the first half, surprising win for the Titans. They went to Baltimore and beat the Ravens for the second time this calendar year. There's a lot to talk about from this game. Uh, we we found ourselves, you know, as we were chatting before the game, sort of realizing just how much happened in this game, how much there is to break down. And I'm kind of struggling to think about what to start with. Um, let, let's start with the good. They finished the game well. The defense came through for them in the end, something that, We've never really said about the Titans this year, uh, but it happened, and, and then they had a great drive on offense in overtime to seal the deal. L- let's talk about that. What did you see from the game yesterday that you liked from the Titans? Uh, what I liked was that they didn't quit. They, they very easily could have, uh, very similarly to how they did against the Colts. They just completely gave up in the second half. It's like they just couldn't react to what was happening in front of them, and the coach was taking the momentum, taking the lead, just putting up points, and the Titans couldn't really do anything to counter that. Thankfully, in this game, they did react after going down 21-10, I think it was. They just showed fight. They showed that they actually wanted this game more, and a lot of Baltimore Ravens fans, some of their players, I think, also, and a lot of their reporters after the game, they were just saying, like, the Ravens just, did not want this game as much as the Titans did. And I think that was pretty clear, especially when you consider Derrick Henry just 
completely taken over in the second half and uh, an overtime on that run. I mean, that's what Derrick Henry does. He just wears you down, uh, and then he pretty much just takes your will to live uh, on the ground, and that's exactly what he did, and I think it was a good embodiment of the Titans' resolve and their determination to come out of this game with a win because if they would have lost this game, I mean, this season could have really spiraled out of control. Yeah. And I think part of the reason why they, you know, didn't give up is because they were allowed to be a lot more aggressive. Uh, I think the safeties and linebackers played probably their best games, you know, when you combine both units that they played all year. Like, I, I don't want to say they generally look disinterested, but it's really easy to forget that those four guys are in the middle of the field when you see the Titans play just because there's so many passes that get funneled outside. Um, this was the first time that I saw the defense actively get those guys involved. So, I mean, that was great. It was great to see the aggressiveness there. Uh, it was great to see Tannehill bounce back, you know, from what was a really good start, then a pretty mediocre what second and third quarter. And then as soon as he hit that, I think there was one pass that went 10 yards before the 50-yard uh, Corey Davis pass. But a- after the Corey Davis pass, it just it looked like the offense was finally awake again after we really hadn't seen him work well for a long time. But that that was really nice to see. And since we're talking about him anyway, Corey Davis getting over 100 yards, that was definitely good. So, you know, that and a Harold Landry sack will, will always make me pretty happy uh, as long as the Titans win. So that that's kind of my pros from this game. Matias, you made the point that if they had lost this game, it would have been easy for the season to spiral out of control. And I 100% agree with that because if they had lost that game yesterday and were sitting here at 6-4 and four after starting the season 5-0, and oh, and that would be their fourth loss in their last five games, that looks and feels a whole heck of a lot different than beating the Ravens being seven and three, which is you know certainly a more than respectable record that puts them in the company of you know the Green Bay Packers, for example, uh, and, and coming back to win that game yesterday. And it's interesting because you know it's rare as a writer that going into a game, I already know what I'm going to write about after the game. I, I knew that if the Titans won, my angle was going to be, and it was the angle I took that they reminded us that hey they don't totally stink the walls aren't crumbling down they're 7 and 3 let's take a breath if they had lost my angle would have been the walls are crashing down they're blowing it and this isn't going to get better anytime soon it doesn't look like so you know with all that being said i think you're right in that I, you know i hate the cliche of this was the most important game of the season because i feel like we end up saying that like six times by the time the season's over but it certainly was crucial even though it was not a division game beyond the playoff implications because there were some considering the titans and the ravens are neck and neck in terms of fighting for a wild card spot at this point it was a very crucial game for the overall picture of and, and narrative of the titans season yeah, I mean, like you said, it did have playoff implications because the Ravens are one of the teams we're fighting for a playoff spot for, so they would have had the head-to-head tie break. Uh, the, the Titans would have dropped to 6-4 and four with the likes of the Raiders and the Dolphins below the Browns, the Ravens, you know, and then the division leaders. So, yeah, there were playoff implications, but I think more so than anything, it's just the feeling of completely wasting away a season that you started 5-0 and for. And it's crazy how much different six and four looks than seven and three. Uh, it's it seems ridiculous to think that just one game 
could be that much of a difference, but it is. And I, I think given even with the games that that the Titans have left, they have some relatively easy games uh, left on the schedule. If they would have lost this one, I, I wouldn't be confident to say that they would win any of the remaining games, even against the Jaguars, uh, because when this sort of thing happens, you just lose complete confidence in yourself as a player and in, in, in the team and the culture of the team and the coaching staff and all that. But a win is, is really, is really big, especially a road win against a team like the Ravens who you beat in the playoffs last year. Yeah. And they also had that really weird streak of where they alternated wins and losses with the Ravens. So I'm not saying it would have been easy to just say, like, well, that's just what happens in this rivalry. But it would have been one of those situations where when you look back, it's like, you know, historically this makes sense. They were they're a tough team. They were both close. You know, they lost a close game. But they kind of bucked that trend, which was nice. And, it, I mean, playoff seeding aside, just in terms of, like, what if, whether this means they're the top wild card or second wild card or – if the, you know, if the Titans don't end up winning the AFC South, you know, it was more important because it was a mobile quarterback who has done a pretty good job against mediocre and below average teams all season to actually like take him and, you know, contain him, especially with his legs for most of the game. And then really like, I think there were a few chunk plays that they basically had to have that were third downs or touchdowns, but it wasn't like the constant stream of eight yard gains, these big, long nine minute drives, like 13 play drives that we've seen the Titans give up so many times. And I don't know if that's a function of that's just what the Ravens defense or Ravens offense is, or if the Titans defense is getting a little bit better or what, but it's good to see the team not get beaten in the same way, or at least not allow themselves to get beaten in the same way that they've gotten beaten three of the last five games. Yeah. I, I want to talk about some negatives now. And off of that comment, Will, about a eight-yard run plays consistently, this just came to mind. Uh, you, you were fired up on, on Twitter yesterday for many reasons, but one that stuck out to me was a, a, a Titans player in particular. And this probably isn't going where you think it is. You probably think we're going to talk about Panda. We're going to save that discussion for a minute from now. But I, I was at a buddy's house watching the game uh, yesterday, and I turned to him at one point. I was like, man, uh, Will, who I do my podcast with, he, he's always saying that there's some Titans player that just has to be the nicest guy in the world because there's no other explanation for how he's playing. And I can't remember who it is. And then a run play happened. I was like, oh, it's Matt Dickerson. That's who it is. Well, it helps because you can always see his full name because he gets completely turned around every play <laughs> to face the camera. Uh, I, I mean, I don't want to jump Matias or anything here, but it, he's the worst. He's the worst. He's not the worst player on the Titans team, but he is the worst Who player is? where you know exactly what's coming. That would be Jameel Douglas. Uh, we'll but, get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, but it, it feels like, you know, we, we talk about he must be the nicest guy in the world, but I should not be able to say, look, that's where they're going to score a touchdown, and it's exactly where they score a touchdown. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. the Titans' goal line defense has been pretty exceptional this season. Like, they very rarely allow a team to go right to the goal line and then immediately score. 
And if they do, it's close. When when Dickerson's out there, there is a two-yard wide hole because he goes in the wrong gap and gets absolutely driven out by the left tackle or left guard. I mean, to an embarrassing degree. Like to like it it looks like on like on film, if you don't know what the Titans are doing, it looks like he's getting in the backfield, but really he's getting driven out of the hole he's supposed to be securing. And so like it led to, I think, Kevin Byard getting run over for a touchdown or for, uh, yeah, it was, that was the touchdown that got reviewed and they upheld the ruling. But like, you know, it's not fair to Kevin Byard on that play. Like it's not his job to be able to stop the running back in the whole full speed. Like that's not, he's supposed to be able to get an advantage that the running back at least has to slow down a little bit and pick a hole, but it was wide open. And it's like that every play it's that every play of his career even when he tried to make tackles, he so he's like six seven or something. He's he's huge, but you'll see him riding the backs of running backs as they carry him for like two or three extra yards. I think one play it was a third down, and he swung the guy forward to get a first down. Like he is just very bad at his job, and it's like every time they give him a chance, he's like, "No, I'm just as bad as you remember." Like. I don't know why he keeps getting chances, but he's number 92. I mean, watch him. You'll see his jersey every time he's on the field. It'll feel like he's on the field for 20 plays when he's really on there for eight or nine, but they're all so costly that you have to see the replays because they all turn into 10-yard plays that the the analysts want to talk about. So, yeah, that's that's my, like I guess, negative if you want to start with our negatives. Yeah, Dickerson is bad. I you know who impressed me was Tayer Tart. I don't know how to say his name, but I thought he made a couple of decent plays and he didn't look like he was getting washed out uh too often against the run. So I would like to see him get more snaps over Dickerson. Uh did Crawford and Murchison play in this game? I don't I don't know if I Murchison even... was out. Uh I think Crawford played a little bit. Uh I didn't okay. I, I know Tier Tart got a lot of run because it was 93 and 92, and they yeah. gave Tier Tart 93 after giving him 78 for his first game. Which right. Was unfortunate. That's why I didn't know who it was at first. And I'm yeah. like, oh, this guy's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> Not bad. But yeah, no, I mean, I think Tart and Murchison should be playing over Dickerson when when all those guys are healthy. I just, I don't see what Dickerson does for you. But apparently, he must be a great practice player. Or like real nice. Six. He's got to be really just nice. Really, <laughs> just a really nice guy. Uh, I don't have really too many negatives, honestly. There, like, there are players that are really bothering me right now. To be honest, just I just think I think Byard's not having the the impact that he has in past seasons, but he's not necessarily making plays that you know are, are actively hurting the team. He just looks a little a step slow, maybe a little softer than normal. I don't know why. But I don't really have too many negatives other than it's not a player, but the defense on the final drive uh, of regulation when the when the Ravens got uh, into field goal range in about 40 seconds when they took over the ball with two minutes and 18 seconds. I mean, come on, man. Like, what is that? I don't know how you can be shocked by that, though. Like, I expected that. I expected to score a touchdown. So so did I, but I don't understand how you could go from two really solid defensive drives to that. Like, what is going on there? Why do you? And this has happened for decades, legitimate decades, where, <laughs> and it happens for other teams too. But they just go into this soft conservative 
defense with the game on the line. And I don't know what they're protecting against because Lamar Jackson hasn't been able to throw deep this entire season. And you're out here giving giving them a chance to to pick up five to ten yards on pretty much every play. It's just, oh, it's infuriating, man. And we just, it seems like they're never going to change. You know what they say about yeah, prevent they, defense? It only prevents you from winning the game. Yep, or as we call it, base defense. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> it, playing ultra conservative and dropping two or three safeties back at everybody else 10 yards off the line of scrimmage sounds right at home for Mike Vrabel. It's just the other teams like trust it when they see it. We've got several conversations to have about the Titans' offensive line. Uh, several. Let's start with the performance we saw in the game. Because without Roger Saffold, uh, Aaron Brewer slid in and played left guard with Tyson Brylow at left tackle. I personally thought that was going to be a recipe for disaster. Not that they picked Brewer, because I think that was probably the best choice over Douglas, who we'll get to in a second. But, you know, you going from Lawan and Saffold to Sam Brylow and Brewer, that just did not seemed like a very promising thing to me, but it worked out well. Uh, They held up very well. What did not hold up was when Ben Jones got poked in the eye and had to miss a play. And that one play was a 20-plus yard loss, thanks to one Jamil Douglas. I'm going to let Will go because he's the one who truly hates this <laughs> well, man. Will, let, let, me pre- let me preface your take on this the, with the text you sent us this morning, which is that, quote, <laughs> on a on a play-for-play basis, Jameel Douglas is the worst Titans player of all time. Yeah, uh, I mean, and then, then we explained, we had to go through and explain it. And I said, you know, he gave up half of Calais Campbell's 2019 sacks up to Calais Campbell in one game last year, the one game he started, or not the one game he started, but I think it was the last game that he intentionally started. Then uh, he plays in this game for one snap, and he snaps the ball over Derrick Henry's head by a country mile. And it's it's if it was at the 40-yard line and that happened, that sucks, you have to punt, whatever. But this was on like inside the five this was a four point play that he lost in a game that went to overtime. So that's pretty terrible. Um, also every time he's in, he makes, I mean, I think he played in, what was it? The Steelers game. Uh, he's had to play a couple of times this year, but every time he's gotten just absolutely whipped and, we all know it's coming. If you look at Titans Twitter, you can see when Jamil Douglas comes in the game because everybody freaks out. And then their next tweet is, <laughs> yeah, we were right to freak out. Like he's just he and he's gotten by for so long on this. I, this is what makes me maddest is the one thing that Vrabel has basically said to cushion why he's kept him on the roster for so long is you have to have guys who can snap. That's what he said when he inexplicably kept him over Corey Levin and the one Wasn't thing Corey Levin a natural center, though? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Corey Levin, way better than Jamil Douglas. That's unquestioned. But I, I don't want to have that debate now. But it's if, if the one thing you're holding this guy on the roster for is because you need a guy who can snap in case you need a backup center, if that's your one thing and he goes out there and he snaps the ball over the head of your Wildcat quarterback, 
and costs you four points, he's got to be cut the next day because he's not doing anything else for you. Like we saw an undrafted rookie free agent come in and play a pretty good game. Aaron Brewer looked really good. Like, did he look like Roger Saffold? No, but he looked, he looked as good as Nate Davis did in his first couple of games. Like he looked like he had promise and like he fit the scheme. Jamil Douglas has never looked like that at any point in his career, no matter who they've been playing against. And, you know, again, on what could have been a play that cost the Titans the season, he was in and made a crucial mistake. Uh, I think we've looked up his uh, pro football reference stat at one point, and he is credited somehow with like seven fumbles or four fumbles, so, something really weird. And I we remember didn't know that. how he got that. Yeah, we didn't know how he got it unless he was like, he picked up a fumble and fumbled it. And I think we ultimately determined <laughs> that he caused so many fumbles and we saw why, cause he just did it. He, he racked up another one this year. So yeah, like terrible job. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not like, I, well, I say that I was very critical on Twitter. I, I don't like in retrospect saying like, I hope this guy gets fired, but well, you didn't say you hope he gets fired. You said no, you I, hope I hope he died. Killed. I hope he got <laughs> sacrificed. And at that moment, I fully believed that. And somebody was like, that's a little harsh. And I was like, no, it's not. And, I, you know, in retrospect, it was too harsh. Probably I was, wor- I was worried when you tweeted that, that we were going to have to find the <laughs> but, new host because you were going to get canceled. I, yeah, right. Like, I, I guess I, like, I definitely don't feel that way. But I guess my point was. There is no other way to get this guy off the roster. He's sort of like Garantano for the Vols, if you're a Vols fan listening. And it's like you cannot get him off of the roster. It doesn't matter if he gets injured. It doesn't matter how badly he plays. He keeps showing up, and he keeps costing you games. And that's what it feels like every time Jamil Douglas comes on the field. So I hope he wins the lot. I say this about a lot of people. I hope he wins the lottery and never has to play another snap of football again because he should not be on this team, and it's crazy to me that he is. No, he should have been cut after the Calais Campbell game last year. I I really don't understand the need for him on the roster. I I mean, you have a natural center. Even Brewer is a natural center, so you could have just put him in for that play. But they also have Munier, uh, who has played in a couple of games this year. He's a natural center also. Like, what is the need to, to put this converted guy who has sucked every time he's been on the field in this situation. And then in addition to all this, they run a wildcat play where the Jamil Douglas has to snap it uh, pretty much a shotgun. Just run a play under center because Ben Jones came back in the next game. So the next play. So I just, it was an absolute, it was coaching malpractice, honestly. And once that happened, I, I'm pretty sure uh, I texted you guys fire Mike Vrabel, but I'm not there yet, but some of the decisions that he makes really makes me consider it. Let's stay on that idea. I do want to come back and talk about the offensive line because we've got a certain exotic animal to talk about, that being the panda. Um, But before we get to the panda, let's talk about Mike Vrabel because, Will, I think you summed it up well. Last week we had the discussion of, and it was the title of the episode, you know, how Titans fans should feel about Mike Vrabel. And... Would you believe it? Yesterday, again, this guy almost screwed the Titans out of a win. I mean, Will, you made the comment that, like, he is an active problem for this football team. And I feel, I mean, this has happened every year. It's going to end at some point. He's going to, you know, 
go back to good Vrabel, but Vrabel is just in his self-destructive slump right now. Well, yeah, like I think we all, or maybe I should say it this way, we all need to agree on what we think Vrabel is because I'm I'm pretty clear that I think Vrabel is a good head coach who creates a good locker room culture, and that's about the extent of it. But like, but there, there was a point, he, and I'm glad you brought that up right from the the outset. That the idea of you know locker room culture and gets the team ready to play. And, and as you all know, who listen to this, I'm huge about locker room culture. But there was a point during the game on Sunday when the Titans were down by 11 points and they just looked awful on both sides of the ball. And I was saying to myself, who cares about culture when you suck? You're not wrong. I mean, it it's one of those things where you don't see it unless you've got the talent to back it up. So it's like the culture is them coming out and, and maybe it's just a cliche, but I do think this team believes it, but it's them coming out and saying, you know, there was never a doubt in our mind that we were going to win this game. Like we, you know, we weren't going to stop competing. And you look at the way that AJ Brown played when he broke all those tackles after several dropped passes, yeah. and you look at how Derek Henry finished and and you can see it's like, okay, this team trusts that if they keep doing what they're told to do, they will eventually win the game. And that, I mean, that's a good locker room culture. You know, next man up, have an Aaron Brewer come in and the Titans not deviating from their scheme. Whether that's wrong or right, like that that next man up culture is real and it does make it to where one person is not bigger than the team. And if you lose somebody like Taylor Lewan, you don't just call it quits. So I do think that is something that we have to give him credit for because we've seen plenty of teams, uh, plenty of the two and four, the two and 14, three and 13, like those teams did not have a lot of fight in them. There's a lot of, you know, restoration of this roster that Robinson had to do before Vrabel even got here. But just on Vrabel, I think he's just a victim of his own success right now in that he was a defensive coordinator once he Obviously did something good enough to get hired as a head coach, even though it had nothing to do with his play on the field. It was more for what we're talking about, how he interviewed in his locker room culture. And he thinks that even if he's not calling the plays and maybe he's not, I mean, I guess he's not actively calling the plays in, but he has a strong influence on this defense and what they do and the way they quote unquote attack people or don't. And that's the problem. It's not that some plays they do this and other plays they do this. It's that the consistent framework of the defense is bad, which is what he's messed up. So as long as he's just the head coach, I think he is an undeniable asset to the team. I think the more that his influence creeps in on the defense, the worse they will be because I just simply don't think that he's got that skill set. I think he is a bad defensive coordinator. I think he doesn't understand how to translate what he wants in his head to what's happening on the field. And he doesn't understand that player A is not the exact same as player B. And, you know, that's that's why he plays boundaries instead of matching people up, even though it's working, is because I don't think he can understand it, and I think he moved away from it. So all that to say... Mike Vrabel is not – Mike Vrabel, the head coach, is not the problem on this team. Mike Vrabel, the defluence, defensive influencer and defensive 
you know, just, just call him a defluencer. I think that's what we're going yeah. for here. I, I think I think defluencer uh, has some weird connotations to it, uh, <laughs> but what, whatever he is outside of being a head coach, even if you want to say like he's a linebacker whisperer or he's a good position coach, that is proven to be incorrect. Like whatever credibility he had as somebody who could work with people and develop them went out the door as soon as when Dean Pease and McKenzie left, the linebackers completely disappeared. So that wh- whatever influence he should have on this roster completely evaporated when those guys left. Do you guys think it's like a narcissism thing? He's just so confident in himself and his decisions. I think it's ego. Lack of awareness. Ego. Yeah, I, I would just say he doesn't okay. realize that he's bad. Like, I think that, and I, I tweeted this the other day, is, you know, I think he goes home and looks in the mirror when they allow 30-something points and the Titans win. He's like, you know, or when they lose, but he just looks in the mirror and says, you know, am I the problem? Is it my schemes? And then he takes a pause and then he says, no, my schemes are awesome. It can't be that. And then he moves on to the next point and he tries <laughs> to fix that. Yeah. Or he just explains it away as none of us played well or we all played well. You know, he, he gives non-answers. But I just don't. I don't think he can wrap his mind around the fact that he can't call defense. Like, I think he's like, no, but my friends can call defense and I'm taller than them. So why can't I call defense? That can't be it. And that, that's just what I think. It is. So, I mean, some of that is narcissism. Some of it's lack of awareness, whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't think he thinks he's better than everybody else, but I do think that he comes from a culture in sports where you can never admit that you can't do something because as soon as you admit that you can't do it, you've lost. So I, I think he's just had to brainwash himself forever and he's brainwashed himself into something he actually can't do. He got really lucky in this one too with that fake punt because, I mean, they barely got it. it like we, we can credit him for having the aggressiveness to go forward and, and run a decent play, but they barely got it. And if they don't get that, man, I don't know what the conversations are right now because they probably lose that game if they don't get that fake punt because the Baltimore would have gotten the ball at midfield with four minutes left in the half. They probably would have scored considering how poor our defense was playing. To, 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 and, to be fair, they also probably lose the game if they just punt. Uh, that is true. Well, they only got a field goal out of it. I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it ended up mattering. Was it? <laughs> Is that the one that Jamil Douglas screwed up? On the no, field goal? I think, I think, no, yeah, that was the other was side the of the field. Okay. I was going to say, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to scream about Jamil Douglas, but it would be funny. I think the the, the one positive is, uh, do you guys remember last year? It was every single week that he was making a decision that was backfiring on the team. And it got to the point where we were just we were sick of it. Thankfully, it hasn't been that bad. I don't think this year, but he's still making decisions we, that we have not we been. Just don't understand. It has not gotten to Brett Kern getting destroyed by Devin White oh my, level. Oh my god! Uh, well, I, I'll say this. I, I guess I'm glad then that he's focusing so much on ruining the defense that he can't ruin every phase, but. It, it definitely has taken up all his time to make sure that opposing quarterbacks feel as welcome as possible. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Speaking of quarterbacks feeling comfortable, let's talk about Panda. 
because Tyson Brylow, who has done an exceptional job of filling in for Table 1, is reportedly, by Paul Kuharski, out for the season, or at least expected to be. He's not been placed on injured reserve as of us recording this. He has, uh, you know, the, the team has not confirmed that. The team is also, you know, per Paul's report, not positive about that. They're just thinking based on the prognosis that, you know, my guess is it's not a torn ACL or something like that. It's something that's probably a two to three month injury that likely logistically will keep him out for, you know, unless they maybe go to the Super Bowl to that point. And so now the Titans are faced with, and this is why I brought up Isaiah Wilson, the Panda, they're faced with this dilemma of how to replace Sam Brylow. When Lawan first went down, we, we were in, in agreement, the three of us, that the best alternative was just play Sam Brylow at left tackle, right? And our belief was change as little as possible. You don't want to make two positions worse. Just make one position worse. And the less change, the better. Personally, I have, with this now, because you lose your sort of, because Tyson Brylow was brought in here for that situation. They signed Tyson Brylow in case Kelly or Lawan got hurt. Well, now he's gone too. And and I I think there is a chance that the best option is turning to Isaiah Wilson. And we're going to have this conversation in, in 30 seconds, we're going to come back from a break. But 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 I, I'm going to explain why I think that Isaiah Wilson is probably the best option, not at left tackle, but at right tackle for the tight. Okay, so the reason I think Isaiah Wilson is, is the best option for the Titans is, and we were talking about this before the podcast, dude's a knucklehead, right? Dude, dude has gotten into lots of trouble. He crashed his car into a concrete wall on Charlotte Avenue he was running from the police and nearly jumped off of a balcony at Tennessee State University. He was on the COVID list for like five weeks. Um, there's been a lot of problems. We have all, at least Matthias and I have said that we feel like when he gets his head out of his rear end and eventually gets onto the field, he's not going to be that bad. I mean, he, he's not going to be Taylor Lewan, but it, I think he could be a Sam Brilo-level player who has clear weaknesses but also is not a liability, which is, I think, how you would describe Sam Brilo during his three- or four-game stint as a starter. And so he was practicing, uh, you know, by default, he was active for his first game on Sunday. And I think that, objectively, football speaking, forget the character, forget all of the police stuff, a Titans offensive line with Dennis Kelly at left tackle and Isaiah Wilson at right tackle, is objectively better than one with David Questenberry at left tackle and Dennis Kelly at right tackle? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I, can, if I can say that. Yeah, we've said that Isaiah Wilson probably won't be horrific if he plays. Uh, I do believe that, but... I'm also aware of the fact that the Titans coaching staff thinks so little of him that he is essentially going to be the 10th offensive lineman uh, to play, like on the team. Because even Munyer played before Isaiah Wilson uh, has gotten a chance to play. I mean, they played I mean, Brewer at left guard before him. They played Questenberry 
at left tackle, the third string left tackle, before with, they with, even let this guy on the field. So with, with the tone of this conversation, it feels like we're talking about like a developmental fourth round pick and not the first round draft it's, pick. It's listen, we hated the pick when it happened. If you if you follow us on Twitter and if you listen to this podcast for a while, you know that none of us liked this pick. We thought it was a brutal reach. We didn't think it was a need. It turns out it was a need, but we ended up drafting the wrong guy. So I don't know. Like, I don't know if you could put him out there to start this next week. Uh, Question Barry was fine in this last game. I know he's very limited in terms of his talent, but I don't know. I would not be able to put Wilson on the field this week. From the start. From the start. <laughs> So somebody has to get hurt. Uh, so, okay. So what makes Luke, what makes you think that Wilson would be better? Like what has he done since being drafted? Is it just because of where he got drafted? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's the fact that he was a starter in the SEC and he was good enough to be a first round draft pick. And if the Titans hadn't taken him, it, he wouldn't have lasted another 10 picks. I don't think. And so I think his talent level, his strength, his raw ability, well, I he has problems. You, you know, you can go back and listen to our, our post-draft podcasts to hear me rail on Isaiah Wilson. However, when the alternative is David Questenberry, who is a replacement-level practice squad kind of guy, I think you have to pull the trigger on the guy that you spent a first-round pick on, regardless of the character concerns, if you think – he is not going to go out there and get absolutely destroyed. And I'm talking Will Svitek level. If you're Mike Vrabel and you you say, well, that's not going to happen, then I don't see what the reasoning is to not at least try. And if he sucks after two drives, put Questenberry out there. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but then you have to move. You have to bring Questenberry in. You have to move Dennis Kelly to right tackle. Like, the there's just so many moving parts for I feel like I've been very harsh on Wilson and I have, but that's because every indicator we have. Yeah. Every indicator we have is that he's going to be a bad player. He's going to be unathletic and overdrafted. And you can even look to the guy who was drafted in top five in Andrew Thomas, who was the left tackle on that team, who's been getting absolutely destroyed. Yeah, he's been getting worked. He was a top five pick, the first offensive tackle taken, and he was also a long-term starter at Georgia. So there, there is something to be said that maybe it was more of the scheme and great offensive line coaching and how often they use tight ends that really helped him succeed. You know, look, Luke, you know, you, you've watched the balls. Cade Mays is not exceptionally good, but he was a starter for Georgia. Like, I mean – there's so many people or there's so many indicators that, well, it turns out the guard beside him wasn't as good as he looked there. The left tackle opposite him wasn't as good as he looks there. The whole offensive line at Georgia has regressed since Sam Pittman left to go to Arkansas. Uh, all indicators from the Titans camp are that he's not very good. All indicators from the fact that they've played 10 different offensive linemen for a snap this season without him getting to play even on special teams isn't a good sign. Uh, you know, his athletic numbers are bad. Like 
there, there's only so many red flags a person can have, but he seems to have them all. So, you know, I, I don't know how much of that is he's not understanding the playbook at all and he's not putting the effort into doing it. Because if when you listen to Tony Romo and Jim Nance, they talk about what Mike Brabel said to them in uh, their little pregame meeting or whatever, and they skirted around it, but they basically said, at some point, you've got to show that you really want the job and they're willing to put in the work and blah, 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 blah. If that's what Vrabel is saying to Jim Nance and Tony Romo, what do you think his real thoughts are? So basically everything we have indicates that he's unathletic, that he's probably not going to be as good as he looked in college, which I think we all thought was probably a day two guy. And I thought he was a third round guy. Uh, he hasn't, uh, he's, he's shown no indication that he wants to be there. He, he's not, he's not doing the right things off the field. I just don't know why anybody has optimized. If he was a seventh round pick, would we have any confidence in him? Like what's the difference between him and Brad Seaton that they drafted in the seventh round three years or, or Sebastian Tritola, if you want to talk about like another sec starter, like, you can be bad, like, and be a starter in the SEC. So, I, I don't know. I just all the positives for him are things that a lot of people have, and that he played in college, and he's tall and big. But all the negatives are so outstanding uh, oh, and right in okay. front of your face. I think we're having the wrong conversation. I I think we're having the conversation of was Isaiah Wilson a good draft pick? We need to be having the conversation of. Is Isaiah Wilson objectively better than David Questenberry? And that is where I am drifting and saying, I I think yes, he is probably. But we saw Quest. I mean, Questenberry played. I don't know. Like Questenberry played, I think, on two different touchdown drives for uh, the Titans against the Ravens. Like, okay, let me let me give you this scenario. Third down, you got Justin Houston in a wide nine. Why is he? See, they're they're but. They're, yeah. <laughs> well, they, they, you know they're, why? They're, they're not, left, they're not in the same position. But would you rather see Justin Houston lined up at a, at a wide nine, third, third and 11, at, at Questenberry's left tackle or at Isaiah Wilson's right tackle? Do you honestly believe that he would have a, a tougher time getting around David Questenberry than he would the Panda? Matias, you want to take this one? I do think he would have a tougher time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, Isaiah Wilson hasn't played a snap. By all accounts, he's been awful in practice and has been since the beginning. I don't know. Like, I'm just reading the tea leaves here. It doesn't seem like he's ready to play NFL football. And the coaches, so, coaching staff feels the same way. Granted, the coaching staff has made terrible decisions all season, so maybe they're wrong. But I haven't seen Wilson play, and I don't know for sure – but from all the information that I have, I think Questenberry is a better option right now. And and just to kind of put that point home, like and and I will I'll let me concede this first while I'm thinking about it. Maybe he is Breon Borders or Tier Tart. Like maybe he is a guy that was buried on the roster and he maybe actually he is, is an better than rookie free agent. <laughs> yeah, right. Like maybe he is somebody. That's where we are. That's like, where yeah. we are. But like maybe he is somebody who got buried and just got hadn't been thought about and haven't hasn't been given a proper chance or whatever. Like maybe the coaching staff is just so over him that they haven't been giving him chances in practice. Whatever. Like that is a line of thinking that I guess could make sense. But 
Questenberry played 11 snap, 11 pass blocking snaps. So he played a 33 total this year or something, but I think he played 11 pass blocking snaps against Yannick Ngakwe and Yannick Ngakwe did not beat him for a sack. So, I mean, is that more evidence than anything we have on Wilson in terms of the whole Justin Houston scenario? Because at the very least it's him not getting absolutely destroyed for three sacks and 11 plays. And I'm not saying that would happen with Isaiah Wilson, but it would definitely happen with Jamil Douglas. And so like, if that's the barometer, like I, at the very least I have seen one of these guys go out there and play NFL football against a speed rusher. And he hasn't looked like he didn't understand how to move his feet. Like the other guy I mean, we talked to Buck before the season and he talked about how he couldn't ever get his balance and he was constantly like leaning over and he was getting knocked around like he was having a problem with leverage back when they used to be able to practice in pads. Like imagine after a 15 month bout with COVID and not being high <laughs> enough on the depth chart to get snaps like he's got to be out of shape. Like there's no Wasn't way he had a shape of practice also. That yeah. Was also yeah. 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 So there's I mean, no I wasn't way there every day, but those that were said that, uh, he like frequently looked exhausted at the end of practice. Yeah. So, and they didn't even the play hangovers. He was and they didn't even play yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, they didn't play him over Questenberry in training camp. So like, I, I don't know. Like, I think that your theory isn't crazy because I think that, Dennis Kelly is Nor probably yours. well. Like, this I, is not think, some sort of polar disagreement where we're sitting right. here saying how crazy, like right. And it it maybe it comes down to I would rather if if we if it's a coin flip, and why change the second guy? Like why not just put Swaim or whatever or Johnu or whoever keep them in line, keep them next to Questenberry and let him let them chip next to Questenberry and just trust Dennis Kelly like you have. Like because if you switch them and Dennis Kelly is struggling with that playing on the left side where he has played worse on the left side than he has on the right side throughout his career. So if you put him over there and he struggles, what are you going to do because you've got somebody, you know, baby stepping over there with Isaiah Wilson to make sure he doesn't get blown up. Let me close out this conversation with with this question. What would it take for both of you to to say, yeah, it's time to put Panda in there? I mean, Quasenberry gets beat twice, maybe, for a sack. Throw him in there. Yeah, I mean, I I still think that the only way that not not the only way, but the first way I'd want to see them use Isaiah Wilson is in a jumbo formation with him playing his normal offensive tackle role yeah. with Questenberry outside of him. Like, get him on the field in a position where he's not going to get exposed for a lack of speed. Let him get his feet under him and at least see what he can do. Don't do it against the Colts because that's a really important game. But, you know, if you're playing Detroit, if you're playing Jacksonville, like, that, those are the games they need to be doing this. They should have done it against Chicago – like they should have done it back when they had time to experiment and take chances and do all that, but they didn't. And now we're left with questions like this, like what are they going to do? You know? So I think that's the first way I would want to see him. And then if he looks good enough there, adapt from that. But even if Questenberry, like, I mean, yeah, like Matias said, I guess if he gets beaten for two sacks in the first half, then I guess replace him. But 
I don't think that Tannehill would let that happen. Tannehill gets the ball off so quick. Even when offensive linemen get beaten, he very rarely lets it turn into a sack because he's really good about that. But I, 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 that doesn't necessarily mean that I think I want Wilson over because Tannehill is going to be able to make up for that inability to block. If we want to be practical, maybe play Wilson at left guard and put Saffold at left tackle. That would be a big shakeup. But let's be honest, Wilson profiles best as a guard anyway, right? Yeah, that's that's the problem. I don't it's know like, that he has any experience there, though, does he? Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't Maybe know. Maybe his like, first year in college or something like that. He he, I think he played opposite. Uh, he might have played guard some um, inside Andrew. I'm not, I'm not sure, but. At the very but least, like we drafted him now, to be a road grading, run blocking offensive lineman, right? Like that fit the the mantra of the team. That's what yeah. he's best at. He's not very good at pass blocking. Now, Will, I will right. make this comment. He did play under the tutelage of the great Sam Pittman, so he's probably prepared to do <laughs> just about anything. He is. He is great. Like Sam Pittman. Imagine having two terrible offensive tackles and getting them drafted both in the first round, like. I hate Sam Pittman for the fact that he like just bold faced lied about what great worth work ethic that Isaiah Wilson had and how he all oh, fans were gonna love him and you know he he worked really hard to keep his weight down to get down from three seventy five to three fifty and he was gonna keep that up all that BS that he peddled like I, I I hate him for that but you can't deny that he made him look like a normal player in the SEC and based on everything else we know about him that is a herculean feat in and of itself so Sam Pittman a great coach would not trust him at all <laughs> let's talk about the Colts guys because this is the sec this is the second time in about 12 days that we're previewing the Colts on this podcast um look we know them very well uh the Titans know them very well it's basically, you know, the same team that we've seen the Titans face the last couple of years, except instead of Jacoby Brissett slash Andrew Luck, now it's Phillip Rivers. They've got a little more juice on offense, though Jonathan Taylor's not providing a whole lot of that, which we got into a lot last time. Uh, let, let's look back to that first Colts game, as painful as that might be. It was not good, but n- now that we have seen the Colts, the three of us, we kind of know what they are. They had a great win on Sunday against the Packers. Have we been, and I think I asked this question when we talked about the Colts a week or so ago, have we overlooked them? Like, are they legit? Because I feel like every time we talk about the Colts, whether it's on the podcast or over text, we're like, yeah, but old man rivers, they suck. They're seven and three and have one of the best statistical defenses in the NFL. I mean, I, I think they're a, a pretty good team. Uh, I do. I, I don't know if their record is indicative of how good they really are. Yeah, their defense is is one of the better ones in the league. But if the Titans had success in the first half, I don't know what happened after the second half. Uh, but Derrick Henry had a good overall game, too. He was running all over their defense. So I don't know if their defense is – and the Packers just put up 28 points on them. So I wouldn't I, I wouldn't say that their defense is elite – but it's definitely a good enough unit that can neutralize some of your uh, best offensive weapons and keep their team in the game for the offense to maybe do something in order to win the game. Yeah, I, I mean, we 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 trash on Rivers pretty often, but 
he's not that great. If he's actually forced to make plays down the field, he can, really can't really do it anymore. The problem is the Titans, when we played them, allowed him to do everything underneath in the flats, uh, in the middle of the field, and it was a horrendous defensive game plan that he absolutely picked apart because he's actually smart, and Frank Reich is actually a very smart offensive mind, and they have you know, talented offensive players like Naheem Hines is one of the better pass-catching running backs in the league, and he took us to the cleaners. Uh, Michael Pittman looks like a really good rookie wide receiver, although they really don't target him all that much they did against the Titans and he destroyed our cornerbacks who were just playing terribly. But I, I don't know, like the, the Titans are as good or better than the Colts. In my opinion, I don't think the Colts are a much better football team. I don't think the last game was indicative of their respective teams talents and their, and their level of play. But the Titans have these games, especially in the division where they just don't show up or they don't have the effort necessary uh, to win or, or to even keep it close at times. So I don't know what team, I don't know what Titans team we're going to get, you know, like, like we said, I, I think we said before the Ravens game that they're probably going to go and beat the Ravens because this is just who they've been. And if they're going to keep to that, you know, trend, they're probably going to lose to the Colts this week. Yeah. I mean, the, the Colts are a team that's built in a very strange way. They're a well-coached defense without real superstars at edge, which is hard to do in and of itself. And they really don't have any great corners. It's just they're very well-coached. They're always in the right. Sort of like the Dean Pease defense uh, the first year that he was in Tennessee. Like, a lot – like, they had Brian Rackpo and Derek Morgan, which were not – I mean, they were on their last leg about to retire. Like – that is as good as they were for their career. They were completely ineffective that season, but the Titans still managed to be like top half of the league in sacks, like just a really sound defense that won them a lot of games. And then on the other side of the ball, they've, they've just decided that they're not going to put too much on rivers and they're going to become incredibly patient in the running game. And they're going to run guys over and over and over again. And if you contest their corner or contest their wide receivers and you play close and aggressive with them, they'll choose to run the ball or throw it to their tight ends more often than not. It's when teams have to bring extra bodies in to stop the run that they really take advantage of those one-on-ones and those soft cushions that teams like the Titans give them. I mean, by, by all means, the Packers should have won that game against the Colts yesterday with you know, 30 plus seconds inside their own 10, Aaron Rodgers decides to run off 20 seconds off of the play clock and the running clock and gets one playoff in that time. And it just, you know, it was just terrible mismanagement of the game, but, you know, credit them. Like they forced a fumble in overtime that, I mean, they came down and they won the game. Like they, they did their job, but, and they're a good team, but they're not some overwhelming for, I mean, like the Steelers, are better than the Colts. Like when, when we watched them, like that was a better, more complete team. But the, I mean, the Colts are a good team. Like the, much like the Ravens are a good team. The Ravens beat the Colts two weeks ago. So, you know, it's one of those games where if the Titans adapt to what they saw and make the clear changes that they need to make, they can beat the Colts. I mean, they were ahead of them at halftime. They just have to not give up these easy plays over and over and over again, and they have to know that they've got to be ready for four plays and not three and a punt. That's just what they're going to get. 
if they don't adapt and they do what we've seen most of the season with the Mike Variable defense, then they're going to lose. I mean, they're going to allow 30-something points like they normally do, and they're going to lose. And Mike Variable will come out and say, you know, we got to coach better. We should have played better. But he won't mean it, and then the next week we'll just do the same thing again. So have the Titans really changed? Will they make adjustments? I guess we'll see. This is a, and I talked about it with the Ravens game, that game having been crucial for the Titans. This one's more crucial. And I made the comment the first time we previewed the Colts. I said, if they blow it in this one, the second one is going to be a must-win game. That's another cliche phrase I hate because it's not a must-win game. There's still a clear path to the, the division championship, even if the Titans lose this one. But it's a lot harder if they lose this game. Because if you lose this game, you can't tie with the Colts. you got to have a game better record than them. If you lose this game, I'm not sure how all the tiebreakers work out. We'll worry about that if they actually do lose. We'll go into that next week. But you really want to win this game if you're the Titans because it puts you in a big hole that you're going to have to climb out of against some really talented teams. I mean, they've got some duds coming up on the schedule, like Cleveland and Jacksonville and Houston. But you also got to go to Green Bay. Uh, you have to. Who are the, who's the other good team they play? Uh, the Browns. I they're a dud in my opinion. Oh, okay. Well, you got my, the Browns, Lions, uh, oh. Colts, Texans, Jaguars, and who am I forgetting? I think that's it. There's only six. Oh, Packers, Packers. Yeah, Packers. I was misremembering. I think I was thinking of last year when they had to play the Saints at the end. I think I got confused in my mind. So the schedule is not as hard as I thought it was. Still, though, what we've talked about since day one of this season is the Titans are too talented to be in a position where going into you know week 14, week 15, the three of us are sitting here saying, all right, well, let's do the math. So if this team loses this game and if they score this many points by strength of schedule and they're too good for that crap. They need to win. They need to take care of business so that they're just in by winning. They don't have to rely on help. We don't have to have, you know, to, to ask for these bizarre winning streaks. It's just like, yeah, they're in a good spot. And if they don't screw it up, they're going to be in the playoffs, you know? Yeah, I would love that. But I'm just, you know. I'm just so used to being let down in these division games that I can't expect much or else I'm just going to be disappointed like I was last Thursday night. So I don't know. I mean, for the division, yes, this is a must-win game. If they lose this game, they're probably not winning the division. I still think they'll be able to make the playoffs, even though there are a lot of 6-4 teams right now and the Browns are 7-3. I think the Titans have decent matchups coming coming up in terms of their schedule. And, and I think they're a good enough team uh, in, in order to make the playoffs, at least with one of those uh, final three spots. So in terms of that, this isn't a must-win game, but it is going to be so demoralizing if this Colts team beats us twice, especially with Phillip Rivers, who just owns us. He has owned us for his entire career with the Chargers. He, he already beat us in his first start with the Colts, and it is it is infuriating to watch that man succeed against us. It really is because he's just kind of annoying with his little throwing motion, his two-yard throws that always seem to work out. I just want to win this game, I, I do, but I am 
you know, I'm being reserved about it just because I've been hurt before. And, uh, like, you know, we've, we've touched a lot about the playoff implications and what it means for the AFC South race. But just from a psychology standpoint, like the Titans started 5-0. and From here on out, if the, if the Titans don't win the AFC South, like, they're never going to feel confident. Like, they're always going to feel like they're going to have to be a wild card team getting in. Like, if you start off 5-0 and and you still have to scrape your way to the playoffs and worry about tiebreakers in late December, then it's one of those psychological games that you're just not going to win. And it's like how, you know, LaJuan said they felt about the Colts for a long time is it just felt like they couldn't beat them until they finally beat them. Like it's these little mental hurdles that you, we kind of just say like, Oh, that's just a fan thing. But no, I mean like the players are the one that ones that have to go in and have that hanging over their head as they play the game. And it's the coach's job to shake them loose of that. But I mean, for these players, to, to have this great start that basically ensures at a 95% chance that you're going to make the playoffs. And then in a year where they expand the playoffs to seven teams, if you don't make the playoffs or if you don't even, if you don't win your division, like I, I don't know, that's just got to be such a gigantic detriment to like the, the entire future of your career. Well, there's also the context that needs to be added. They are seven and three. And I thought Rashawn Evans had a great quote after the game yesterday I asked him about if they you know they're seven and three if they kind of like where they are at this point and he said you know we're to the point of the year where one of three things happens either a you start getting better and get on a roll b you start to decline or b you stay the same and what we want to do is we want to get on a roll and I think that sort of sums up perfectly where we are with the Titans right now. The season's not over. As I mentioned earlier, I wrote it after the game yesterday, the walls are not crashing down. They're 7-3. and three. They're in a good shape to have some disasters happen and still make it into the playoffs. This is not like years past where they needed a bunch of things to go right and didn't have hardly any room for error. So what, what, what direction are they going to go? Are they going to win the division? Or are they going to compete for a top seed and potentially a, a buy if the Chiefs drop a game or two? Are they going to kind of stay the same? Because they're playing at about a 9-7 and seven level right now and finish 11-5, Or will the bottom fall out? And, and I, it remains to be seen. I don't think the last one that I mentioned, bottom falling out, is likely. Uh, but it's certainly possible. So, so that's kind of the question that will shape the rest of the season for the Titans. Two quick things before we get into Stop the Nonsense. First, Will, share share this this pro football focus stat that you just sent us over text. <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I was just looking at the pro football focus grades, and I was like, you know, I want to see while I'm looking like what the David Questenberry stats are and all that. And I was looking, and I see a single-digit grade. And when you see a single-digit grade, it's – yeah, this isn't one to ten. This is one to one hundred. Yeah, it's one to one hundred, and they very rarely do anything, even for a single game. Uh, so I was like, "Whoa, whose is that?" And so I clicked through and I sorted, and lo and behold, it was Jamil Douglas, who for twenty twenty has a six point eight pass block grade. Oh my gosh! So, I, I, just in case there was anybody out there who still thought I was being too harsh on Jamil Douglas, know that. The numbers, whether you believe in PFF or not, if you get a 6.8, at the best, you're just very bad at your job. And But, I mean, if they're accurate, then you're historically bad at your job. So, 
I, I thought I thought that uh, everybody should know that. Since, since I had to know that, you also have to be first <laughs> with that information. And then the other thing I want to mention is, Matthias, you brought up last week that you feel like the Titans might finish the season eight and eight or nine and seven. Uh, have you backed off of that at all? Yes, although I still think it's possible because this team just has not been consistent for the season. But yeah, I mean, this Ravens win was was pretty big. I I, I think uh, for the rest of the season going forward, and their games are just I don't know. I mean, the Lions are putrid. Their head coach stinks. Uh, the Jaguars are one of the worst teams possibly in NFL history. They're really bad. Uh, and then the Texans, week 17, yeah, they're going to come out and and play hard, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like the, like we said, Deshaun Watson might not even play that game. So I, I don't know. I feel like the, the, the games going forward are easy enough for the Titans to, to at least get to nine wins and probably 10 or 11. It's time for Stop the Nonsense. Mine is very simple this week. It is... When a new coach is hired, and this spawned for me a couple weeks ago, I've sort of had it in the bank in case we ever got to a week where nothing else major popped up so that I could grind this axe. This started when uh, the Mets hired their new manager, who who had a great press conference, and he was very active and energetic and made some comment along the lines of, if we don't win a World Series in the next three years, then I would consider that a disappointment. Got a lot of people really fired up. Love that. And then came the age-old stupid quotes from journalists. He won the press conference. First of all, in my experience, I've only seen one coach who did not win the press conference, and that was Mike Malarkey, because people were terrified of that guy after his press conference, because that press conference was a cluster fill in the blank with uh, a lot of directionless waxing and people thought it was weird that John Robinson cried. People were not happy about Mike Malarkey. But virtually every other new coach I have seen from the most uninspired hires won the press conference. People loved Joe Judge because Joe Judge won the press conference. You know, it's so meaningless. I don't know why we why, why we as sports reporters even say that phrase. How about, you know, I was impressed by what he had to say. Look forward to seeing if this vision comes to fruition. Why? And instead of this nonsense of, oh my gosh, he won the press conference. Because it's so meaningless. You're not going to know if the guy's any good until his team gets out there and plays. So let's calm down and stop getting fired up because he, you know, made predictions in front of the microphone or... Or, you know, said we want to win, something the Mets have not done a very good job of lately. I mean, let's let things play out. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Uh, So for my stop the nonsense, it is ESPN fantasy. Because, as many of you probably know, Taysom Hill started at quarterback for the New Orleans Saints this week, he actually played much better than I thought he would, and many thought he would. Uh, he was fine. But the problem with ESPN Fantasy is that they had him listed as a tight end. And 
everyone took advantage of that. Obviously, he put up 24 points, I, I think, in terms of like standard scoring. I used him on FanDuel as my tight end because he was very cheap, and he ends up getting you 24 points, which is fantastic. Uh, like, no tight end gets you that except for Travis Kelsey. And it's just absurd. Like, why was he even listed as a tight end to begin with? Uh, last year, he played 85 tight end snaps. He played 41 at quarterback, 44 at wide receiver, 22 at running back. He played most of his snaps on special teams, so he might as well have been a linebacker. And then he, he caught 28 passes. He's caught 28 passes in his entire career. Like, he is not a tight end, and no person who you would ever talk to about him would think that he's a tight end because most of his snaps and most of his plays come as a wildcat quarterback where he either keeps it on a read option, gives it to Kamara, or ends up throwing the ball uh, on a read pass option. So I found that absurd. Like, everyone's everyone's, accepted, everyone's upset about uh, ESPN Fantasy leaving him as a tight end and allowing uh, that to happen because a lot of people probably lost their matchup because of that. A lot of people maybe won it, but I bet you the ones that lost are, are, are more upset uh, about what happened. And I think it's it's a little ridiculous that they even let that happen to begin with. Yeah, it's always weird to me when they let people like when they used to let Marquise Colston play as a wide receiver or as a tight end. Like, I mean, I, I, that's an old reference. But whenever they let these guys who are hybrid players like slide in at tight end where there's very rarely any good options. It's always super weird to me and feels like a cop out, but um, it is funny how weird we went in like completely different directions for these because mine is something small that was annoying me in the broadcast and it's because it happens so often, but I don't know what the problem is with people understanding how to say Titans players names like for years with Mariota, we got Mariota and we got all those different pronunciations despite having a guide in front of them. And I guess I can understand that because it, it it's not a word you see a lot. It's not phonetically something that you necessarily say on a day-to-day basis. But the fact that I see, I hear Jim Nance say Ferksker. What is he? Ferks? Fersker. That's what he says. Fersker. It's just him not reading. That's, <laughs> it's just him choosing not to read. And he's not the only one that does it. Like, there's several people who say Fersker. And it's just, at a certain point you should know maybe the top four or five receivers on the team. And if, because like, you're going to have to say their name at a certain point, like you don't have to know every offensive lineman's name. Like that's like, I would find that disrespectful, but you don't have to know. Like if you're an announcer and you've got one day's notice that you're covering a game, at least learn the five guys you're going to say the most. And I mean, the Titans don't have Adam Humphreys. They don't have Evans, Derek Henry's an easy name to say like Corey Davis. AJ Brown. Those are really names to say. You can't say you can't read Ferkser. Like it's it's crazy to me because it's not like Fersker is a common name, it, but it happens all the time. And as soon as I hear that, I immediately zone out of a broadcast. It just it takes me out because I'm like, okay, like don't tell me how good Fersker's been all season or what he's done because you obviously don't you have not paid yeah. enough attention to him. And whether it's a simple mistake or not. It's infuriating to me, and I'm it just it, from the most professional guys doing it. It's not what I would expect. I remember I didn't actually see this happen. I was just told this happened a few years ago. Some CBS guy saying Clinton Spain. 
<laughs> I, that's I just classic. That, that's super funny. <laughs> that that you know, like you were saying, Will is is not even a case of like not trying. That's just not reading correctly. I'm I'm gonna start saying uh, Clinton Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> Much better guard than uh than Clinton Spain. All right, that's going to do it for us. The Titans play the Colts on Sunday. Hope everybody has a happy and safe Thanksgiving and uh, enjoys that time. And we will be back next week to recap the game. Until then, for the Matias, I'm reminding you and everyone in the sports world, as always, to stop the nonsense. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.